As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. It's Straight Outta Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. On this episode, a win to finish the season as the Blues secure third place. There's the latest on the takeover and celebrations for a former Blue in Italy. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic for the penultimate time this season. This is Straight Outta Cobham. So that's that then, gang. The 2021-22 season comes to a close in a rather tepid fashion for Chelsea, but still top dogs in London again and still champions of the world. Uh, And here's a great message, which I think will cheer everybody up this morning. Producer Lucy's put it in from her godfather, Andy. Uh, It was put to the supporters club, the Saffron Blues, just to put some gloss on the season. Uh, Andy pointing out that coming back from 2-0 down against Liverpool at home, in theory, cost them the league. Uh, so that's something that all Chelsea supporters can revel in <laughs> this Monday morning. I'm Is that sure. Saffron Walden rather than Saffron the Ingredient? The Spice, yeah, I would have thought yeah. so. Yeah, yeah. It'd be weird to have a supporters club named after a Spice, but um, never mind, maybe something for next season for somebody to think about. That was the voice of Chelsea Academy grad Sam Parkin. You can hear. Hi, Sam. <laughs> morning, Matthew. How you doing? I'm all right, thanks. Also with us is the Athletics Chelsea expert, Simon Johnson. Simon, I don't know about you, but it took me a long time to come down from the dizzying highs of that game against Watford at Stamford Bridge on Sunday that you and I attended. Yes, hello, Matt, and and hello to one of our biggest fans. I promised I'd give him a a shout-out. He's a big fan of the show. Charlie, I know you're listening. I told you I would. Uh, Right, on to the game, and... uh... (laughs) Hilarious private joke there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, honestly, I was so pumped for this. I actually arrived two and a half hours early. I mean, I actually went, I looked at my watch and went, what am I doing? <laughs> I was going, and I was thinking, as I strolled up Fulham Road, I was going, oh, I remember I remember it being a bit like this on, on the first day of the season at Crystal Palace, a few days after Chelsea lifted the UEFA Super Cup. And here I am attending the most meaningless game, one of the most meaningless games in in uh, in Chelsea's modern history. And, and what a way for, uh, technically, for the Roman Abramovich era to end. Yeah, you just sort of think, this is not actually in keeping with the last 19 years. Nothing at stake and listening out for results elsewhere. But, yeah, 
nothing wrong with a bit of last day fun in the sun with a few farewells thrown in and the, the lap of appreciation. Uh, yeah, speaking of the end of the Abramovich era, by the way, must draw your attention to the joint read that Simon and Liam Toomey have teamed up on uh, about the Roman Abramovich era. And we'll talk more about that later on. But first, let's get specific on that last day game against Watford. Here's James. Oh, that's a good cross. And it has made its way in. And Ross Barkley can celebrate his first Premier League goal of the season. Right at the campaign's very conclusion, three minutes after the concession of the equaliser, just as it looked as though Chelsea were going to end the season with more dropped points at home, Ross Barkley has come up with the winning goal. Chelsea 2, Watford 1. It wouldn't be Chelsea without letting a lead slip, would it? But wait, late plot twist, up steps Ross Barkley to win it. Uh, it happened, we know this, Simon and I, as mentioned, were there at the bridge to witness it live. Um, bit of disappointment, Simon, when the team sheets dropped that there were no academy players within it. Uh, Harvey Vale was present. He got his Academy Player of the Year award and a big hug from Thomas Tuchel as well pre-kickoff, but felt like a bit of a missed opportunity. Yes, because, yeah, for example, Kennedy getting his first... Kennedy uh, getting his first uh, Premier League game for five years for Chelsea. You just sort of think, is he the future? Or... Could Lewis Hall have been playing there? I know who I'd rather have seen, even though Kennedy came up with an assist, um, desperately trying to make my promise of doing a Kennedy piece come to fruition. I'm sorry, <laughs> sorry, Kennedy, if you were waiting for it. I was instructed to do something else, something a bit, uh, bit rogue. Um, but yeah, I was, I was a bit disappointed. Harvey Vale, um, yeah, it's great to see him there, but basically he, he's been unwell. So there was a reason why he wasn't involved. But yeah, a bit, bit of a shame, bit of a shame. But, um, you know, at least we got to see a few players for the last time. You know, some great signings like Sal Niguez. Thanks for the memories. Never lost a game as a Chelsea player. <laughs> um, familiar tale, despite wasn't his, it, Sam? Despite his best efforts. <laughs> yeah, quite, yeah. Uh, it was 72% possession in the end, 19 shots for Chelsea. It's kind of the same thing that we've been seeing ad nauseum all season, isn't it? Uh, albeit with, with the surprise that they actually went on and won the game here. But but overall, very reflective of what's been a, a disappointing campaign at Stamford Bridge, particularly. Yeah, just the nine wins, wasn't it? I think in 19 games and five one ones. And I think when you look at the uh, the list of results now, retrospectively, it's where the the challenge was lost. It's why it became quite mediocre there was that that series of one ones, wasn't there? I think f- four in five games or three in four games at Stamford Bridge in the in the winter, which um, was the end really of any title challenge. And 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 yeah, I suppose that stat that's been doing the rounds in the last forty eight hours that they've um, not been behind in any game at, at half time this season in the Premier League. I think that's right, isn't it? Mm, and um, it's the first time that's ever happened to a team in the Premier League. And that sums it up, doesn't it? They've not been great at managing games, to state the bleeding obvious. And they've not taken their chances when they've been in the ascendancy so many times. In those games, home to Burnley, Everton, Leicester, Manchester United, and, and again, I suppose, yesterday. But yeah, it was a, it was a dead rubber, wasn't it? And it was um, a very flat end of season game, but they were able to rally themselves and... 
and get a late winner. Great to see Ben Chilwell. Some good performances um, from, I suppose, Barkley when he when he came on. Silver, I thought, was was very good. Again, Mason Mount trying to make things happen. Um, but yeah, a flat end of season game. And I thought the flaws that had been there throughout the season were in evidence again. We'll talk about some individuals. Uh, you mentioned Kennedy, Simon. You probably won't ever get to write the, the long read on him, but we can talk about <laughs> him a little bit more here. Um, as you said, featuring a Premier League game for Chelsea for the first time in five years against the club where he spent a glorious 16-minute loan spell uh, a few years ago. A first half of two halves for him, I thought, because at the start, everything he did was coming off. It was a lovely assist for the Havertz opener. Um, but then he kind of felt that everything had to be a flick or a trick. And by an hour, he cramped up so badly he had to come off. It was If it was an audition to play as, you know, Ben Chilwell's understudy next season, I'm not sure he passed it unless we're going to reduce games to, to 25 minutes. <laughs> yeah, but is, is anyone really surprised that he was a little bit rusty or lacking that sharpness given... One can only say he was one of the most pointless loan recalls um, that you can remember. Obviously, if Marcus Alonso had got an injury as well, then then he would have played a lot more. But sometimes you, I think I think we do have to question Tuchel a little bit. Not saying that all these guys that played yesterday, these fringe guys, are the answer or were the answer, but given how tired some of these some of the regulars have looked, you do sort of think, couldn't have Tuchel given these guys a bit more more minutes just to give them a go, really? I mean, you, you sort of compare, you compare his management of the squad with, or certainly his trust of the squad with, for example, Jurgen Klopp's, who massively rotated his squad just recently against Southampton and they, they were able to get the job done. Um yeah, am I saying Ross Barkley is the answer? Uh, no, but but you know, I'm sure he could have contributed a bit more than he did in the second half of the season. Same same with Kennedy. You know, there were some games with Alonso that you could tell he he was having one of his Alonso type games where he he's going through the motions a little bit, and you sort of think of other players that were played out of position um, at wing back. But getting back to the point about Kennedy, I'll be very surprised if, well, never say never, I suppose. But I'll be very surprised if, if we see him in the Chelsea shirt again. I'm sure another attempt to loan him out or to sell him permanently will, will be made. It's hard to see where he's 26 now. You sort of feel like he's another of these players that that is frittering away his career a little bit, getting minutes here, there, and, and not regularly enough. Yeah, he's got another year on his contract. Uh, we'll talk about Tony Rudiger shortly, but you mentioned Ben Chilwell, Sam. I just wonder from, from a player's perspective, psychologically, I would assume there'll be a big boost for him, the fact that he's just been out on the grass playing in a Premier League game rather than doing his rehab and then having a break and going straight back into pre-season. That, that, that'll carry him through, won't it, the next couple of weeks, the fact that he's actually got some football. Yeah, and he won't be in doing his rehabilitation throughout his summer holidays now. I remember doing something similar when I was at Ipswich, missed the majority of the season, got my two minutes at Plymouth Argyle away and just said, see you later to the physio. <laughs> I'll have my <laughs> six weeks off now. Um, I think the the game has changed somewhat, but yeah, he, he'll be a little bit behind. But um, yeah, psychologically, uh, really good for him. 
he'll probably have to be managed actually, you know, come to think of it when he goes back to the start of the arduous kind of first few days of preseason. Again, it's changed. A lot of it's with the ball now. The long distance stuff is no longer around, but they'll have to drip feed him throughout this summer and uh, and into the, the pre-season programme, I, I would suggest, and then even monitor his minutes in those first couple of um, uh, pre-season games that are in the diary. But yeah, great. One of the best moments of yesterday. Not my favourite moment. My favourite moment was the Chelsea fans stink, singing about Steven Gerrard slipping as the Dan Goslin header found its way into the net. <laughs> so <laughs> it was the least bothered any set of supporters have been about conceding the goal. <laughs> This season, because that that cheer had just gone round the um, the the Matthew Harding. Uh, I think the the word had spread that City had just got their third. So uh, that was quite enjoyable. Even the guy, the goal was such a mess. I just watched it back this morning. Um, James and Azpilicueta. I don't know what those two were doing, but there was no one on the right hand side for Chelsea. I was thinking, who's playing right wing for Chelsea right now? And I watched the subsequent ten minutes and. Ziyech, Havertz, Barkley, I think all of them wanted to be in the kind of number 10 position or false nine position. So there was no one on that right-hand side of the pitch. So I think if it was a more meaningful game, Thomas Tuchel would have been pulling his hair out. I think it probably Ziyech should have been tracking back and, and, and helping out with Messina. I, I thought you were going to mention um, the brilliant Malang Saar um, <laughs> at the back post. Uh, yeah, totally... that was, that was ball-watching... To the to the, the best degree that any young kid watching that <laughs> just just saying oh oh Dan there you go have a, help yourself to a goal just to see the season out uh, see your time in the Premier League out but um, no I just want to jump in on the on the Chilwell chat very quickly um, yeah he Tuchel's come out and said that he will be given a a plan a bit like Callum Hudson Odoi to start before the main group start um, but. It's still really, really positive because I remember when he first did the injury and it, there was talk of him like, oh, maybe August, maybe September, question mark about the World Cup. Like if you've, if you've got your England hat on, for him to be on the pitch at all in May is fantastic for, for him, for the club and for England. And the look on Mason Mount's face, because he was the one that came off their best mates in a big smile, gave him a big hug. Because he would have seen Ben Chilwell at that low point of of coming coming off that awful knee injury and seen him battle back from this. Um, and fair play to fair play to Ben Chilwell. He's been sorely missed. Actually, the the first inkling we had that that I sort of thought, oh, he's definitely going to be involved today, was when because I got there so early, as I mentioned earlier on, um, was seeing him and Rhys James walking out on the pitch together, sort of like an hour and a bit beforehand. And it's just like, that's what those two used to do when they were both fit. And it brought back memories of when Chelsea were playing brilliant football week in, week out with those two to the fore. And Tuchel will be having his fingers crossed that if those two can stay actually fit next season... He's got a lot of work to do on this squad, but if those two are fit, then that's a huge, huge sort of boost, um, a huge lift to their chances of actually competing throughout the season. Uh, finally, on, on Chilwell, Simon, Gareth Southgate won't pick him for, for the Nations League games for England over the summer, will he? No, no, no chance. Um, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Um, he, he won't be fit enough anyway. 
Good. So, 1-0 at half-time then in the second half, as uh, Sam mentioned, Dan Gosling got his customary goal in front of the shed before Ross Barkley went on and won it in stoppage time. That came after there was a hashtag classy touch from Thomas Tuchel as he bought Tony Rudiger off early, quite early, I thought, actually, midway through the second half to get his standing ovation. Uh, players appreciate that kind of thing, Sam? He looks a bit bemused, didn't he, initially? Um, but then I think when the, the applause kind of gathered around the, 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 the stands, he seemed to enjoy it and he got a you know, high five from everyone. And yeah, I think that was a, that was a nice moment. And I think, I, I don't know, he's obviously achieved a lot at Chelsea, won a lot of silverware, but I suppose his recovery in the last 18 months is what I'll remember him most for. I think he was training away from the group for a for a period, if memory serves me right. So to be reintroduced by Thomas Tuchel and be so good over the last 18 months is um, is testament to him, really. He fought his way back in and his, his level of consistency has been amazing. Um, cult hero, you know, plays up to a bit of a caricature, doesn't he? Getting involved and playing to the, to the crowd. Um, but the fans love all that and... He's certainly given everything. So he goes with everyone's best wishes, obviously, apart from when he invariably comes up against Chelsea in some kind of European competition. It was a good illustration, wasn't it, Simon, of how much he'll be missed? Because when he went off, as Piliqueta almost scored that ridiculous own goal, and then as we mentioned, the goal that, that uh, Watford scored, Rudiger might have been able to, to prevent that. He's going to take some replacing. Yeah, and it's not just him as a defender, it's him as a personality. Mm. And you could argue it's it's the latter which Chelsea will miss most because you know, Rudy grows his moments uh, defensively. Um but him as a personality, it's just that the, these kind of characters are hard to find. Chelsea don't have enough of them as it is, and now they're arguably losing the biggest the, the sort of the, the leader without being the captain, the the leader by example, the one that gets stuck in in those challenges, not afraid to walk walk that tightrope of between yellow cut. It's a bit Diego Costa like in in some in some ways. You know that, that sort of that ability to sort of do nasty things but not actually get punished for them. Because Costa Costa did a lot of stuff and didn't actually get red carded. I think in a, uh, apart from Everton, I think he got a red card. And then there was one retrospective one. But Costa, yeah, he managed to escape a lot of punishment, and so is Rudiger. But it sends out a message to the dressing room, you know, that that fight, that kind of, and yeah, so they're, they're missing it. They're going to miss him on two fronts. I also thought I don't know whether if anyone's read it, um, but I really ha- highly recommend anyone that to, for people to go to his piece, his very heartfelt piece that he, he's done with Players Tribune, and he also sort of again perhaps sort of points a finger as to why. He's leaving, or certainly one of the major factors why he's leaving, and the lack of contract talks between August and January, which which doesn't sort of come uh, put the club in a very good light. Um, but Tuchel talked post match about uh, the need to uh, rebuild this squad to to replace key players like Rudiger. That's why he's sticking around. He's not going on holiday yet, so Chelsea will already have their targets lined up, and, and Jules Conde a guy that they basically agreed a deal for last summer will will be one would imagine will be sort of one they expect to get through the door pretty soon if once the takeover is complete 
Uh, so once the game was complete, we got the customary lap of honour slash lap of appreciation, depending on your preference. How did it go down, Simon? I must confess I scarped at that point. <laughs> <laughs> well, it looked it was it was the usual lack of organised thing where sort of like the players and their family members just stood about for a while, and it took took someone in a in a, in a suit. I don't know who he was. I didn't recognise him, but basically, to sort of tell them. No, you actually need to walk around like that's, you know, the lap. That's where the lap comes in. Um, but it was all good natured. All, all, I, I was pleased to see Andreas Christensen there. I, I was I was a bit concerned that he wouldn't even be there to say goodbye at all. He obviously not named in the squad. It was very low key. Um, he was with Ruben Loftus-Cheek quite a lot. Um, but as we discussed in the last pod, you know, he's done a lot in the last 10 years. It, he, he should have been on the pitch. You know, it's right that he was on the pitch at least to say some kind of goodbye. But yeah, you were looking out and sort of just seeing how many players' futures are in question, and there's a, there's an awful lot of them. Obviously, not everyone's going to go, but yeah, I always find the last day sort of one of those. Oh, I wonder if he'll be back next year. What I should mention, actually, Matt. Of course, this is very amiss of me. Todd Bowley and Hansjorg Weiss, this however you pronounce his name were they stood at the front or the end of the tunnel, depending how you want to look at it, and greeted every single person that came out, including obviously starting with Tuchel and his coaching staff, then every player. Uh, I particularly took note of um, the warm hug between Todd Bowley and Romelu Lukaku. I was sort of going, oh, shall I read into that? But that was good to see again, you know, that, that Todd Bowley hasn't officially taken over yet, but the way he's acting is as a man that's already getting his regime under the way and making nice, nice with the personnel. Uh, yeah, we'll talk a bit more about Bowley in a second or two. I just want to finish up on the on the lap of honour, Sam, because I'm fascinated to know what a player thinks of that. Because unless you've actually won something, surely you don't really want to be just walking around, waving at people, going, thanks for coming. Sorry, we didn't win anything. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit embarrassing, I think, if memory serves, serves me right. Um, you'd rather probably just get the... I don't know how it works on Saturday, Simon, Sunday, sorry, but you'd rather just get the whistle blown and then get it out of the way then rather than go back inside and, and, and have to get yourself, um, yeah, ready to go out there and maybe face a few disgruntled Pick up your kids support- and put a commemorative T-shirt on and wait. Yeah, yeah, and face a few disgruntled supporters if it hasn't gone particularly well. But I don't think that was the case, as Simon said. I mean, it was close to being not a vintage season by any stretch, but... Uh, you know, but for a couple of missed penalties and, and such like, it could have been a couple of trophies. So, yeah, they they don't need to hang their heads in shame, do they, at all? But there's a lot that's gone on this year. Um, and, yeah, had they won those trophies, we probably wouldn't be talking about the, the amount of changes that we're anticipating this summer. But, yeah, it was never never something you you embraced unless, obviously, you had silverware to show off or you were going into a playoff campaign or into a final or whatever. Chelsea fans were obviously in good mood because of events elsewhere, but Chelsea also um, sold, you know, for sold it as sticking around. The reason stick around, the the Player of the Year being announced after the game. Oh, so yeah. the, the Academy Player of the Year and the Women's Player of the Year were announced pre-match. Harvey Vale, Sam Kerr. Sam Kerr wasn't there sadly to pick up a award. She's on the lash in Barcelona with Erin Cuthbert, which from their Instagram looks like a lot of fun. I think they made the right call. Uh, <laughs> I should have done that as well. Uh, 
But yeah, so we had this all, oh, but after the game, we'll do the men's plan, you know, sort of build that anticipation, hang around. And uh, it was Cesar Azpilicueta um, who made the announcement. I was also waiting for Azpilicueta to perhaps make an announcement of his own, um, listing out for him to say, adios, I don't know any Spanish for I'm off to Barcelona, but um, I was listening out for it. I had my Google Translate at the ready, um, but no, he, he, he announced that Mason Mount won the Player of the Year award. Didn't get my vote. Um, I went for Thiago Silva. I think we discussed that in the last show. I, I just thought um, he was very, very consistent for the whole season and at 37, very, very impressive. Um, could have gone to Rudiger as well. I thought it was between those two. But, um, of course, Mason Mount has, has done wonderfully again, um, getting double figures for goals and assists. Um, and it just shows how popular and understandably so he is with the fan base because um, they identify with him as one of their own and, and he, he he is one of their best players for sure. So he's player of the season. We'll do a proper deep dive into the campaign on Thursday when we record our final pod of the term. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So you mentioned then, Simon, Todd Bowley on hand at Stamford Bridge. And this time he actually got to see the team win a game, which um, is something that he's been waiting for quite a while, it seems. I mean, the, the fact that, as you say, he's, he's shaking hands, kissing babies and making friends with everybody su- suggests that this is getting pretty close now. Yeah, I mean, we're just all waiting for the announcement, aren't we? Yes, there's been some some more curveballs in the last week or so, more fears and oh, this could happen and what's Roman doing with the money and all that. But, you know, Todd Bowley's giving off all the body language of a man that knows that he's soon to be the front man. He, he's not the, the, he doesn't have the most money in this consortium, but he will be the front man of this club. Um, and he's making himself very, very visible from the outset. And I'm sure Chelsea fans who already sort of seem to want him to be the one out of all the, out of all those that bid for the club, he was always quite popular, it seemed. Um, but that, I think they'd appreciate, you know, seeing what they're seeing. You know, this is not when you compare to perhaps some other clubs with American owners where you don't see their presence. Um, someone has either told him or it's from his own volition that I, I need to be seen. I need to be sort of shown at games. Of course, that and that's what Chelsea fans grew accustomed to with Abramovich for, for the most part. He was... At most of the game, showing his enthusiasm. So, yeah, let's hope. Let's hope. I feel like we've been saying this for several weeks. Let's hope we get an announcement. It's probably going to be on Thursday during our show. Um, and what a way to go out! Um, 
and and then we can all move on, which is what I think everyone wants to do, including ourselves on this pod. <laughs> Sam, I'm not going to use the word slash phrase in tray, uh, lest I make an unwanted appearance on the Football Clichés podcast, also available from The Athletic. But what's the what's the first thing that he's going to do, do you think, Todd Bowley? I mean, is, is it literally like, let's get some signings in, A, to, to you know, appease supporters and, and make a good early impression? Or, or is there something else? Is it, is it getting making sure that Thomas Tuchel and Emma Hayes are happy? Is there is there one specific thing you can think of that will be top of his priorities? Um, probably that conversation with the manager, isn't it? How they're going to attack next season and give him the tools to get closer to the top two. I think that's the most important thing because I think about the players just get on with it. The players will be interested to see who's going to walk into the dressing room in pre-season, how they're going to improve the squad. I don't think the owner essentially can, like Simon just referenced that hug between him and Lukaku. It's going to be at the manager's discretion ultimately, isn't it? How much they 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 want to use certain players or if Lukaku has a future, the owner can say to Thomas Tuchel, well, what do you think about Romelu Lukaku? You know, do we want to cash in on him now? And I think ultimately that's going to be the manager's decision. So I don't think the owner will play too much of a part in in that. I think for him, it'll just be you know, you know, identifying some targets with the manager and the people in charge of the signings and, and going from there. Can have a decent whack at the transfer market as well, can't they, Simon? Because you know, it's easy to forget they actually turned a profit in it last season, despite spending the best part of £100 million on Lukaku. So there's no particular pressure in, in terms of FFP, if indeed that even still exists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, of course, they could raise some revenue from player sales as well. Um, fans will be worried about perhaps who those sales might involve. Is there a risk of repeat of last summer where some of the best youngsters were offloaded, for example, to, to help fund Lukaku's fee? And you sort of think of the quality of youngsters that clubs would be willing to spend an absolute fortune on. Players like Conor Gallagher, Levi Colwell, um, I think it's important for the club to, um, and I'm sure Tuchel will, will definitely have a say in this, but I think it's important for the club to to keep these guys. I, I think Conor Gallagher is, I mean, both will be involved in pre-season with Chelsea, um, but I think they're the, they're the future. They're the sort of the injection of youth and energy and quality that the club can bring into the squad without spending a penny. Um, they're homegrown players with a lot of potentials to get an awful lot better. So, um, but yeah, I, Chelsea will have money to spend, but I think everyone should be realistic here. It's going to take a few windows, I think, for Chelsea to build a squad capable of taking on Liverpool, Man City in the Premier League. I think there is a significant gap, um, as has been shown once again in the table um, between them, because it's not the one-off occasions. It's not the... That sort of as Chelsea showed four times against Liverpool, they they can go toe to toe with them in, in games. It's the the relentlessness of the season and being able to perform every single time, and and that's where Chelsea go fall short compared to those two. Yeah, not drawing at home to Burnley and getting smashed by Brentford. Um, Sam, I thought this just occurred to me, re Colwell. Obviously, from what we hear, the club want him to stay next season. I guess a good selling point to him would be come and learn next to Thiago Silva for a year. I mean, it can't be many better teachers for him than that. No, not at all. I mean, uh, 
He's got a big week coming up, hasn't he? I mean, he could be obviously promoted to the to the Premier League with Huddersfield. He's had an exceptional season. Um, and yeah, as Simon says, I think, yeah, and I'm thinking back to your previous question, Matt, that's a conversation obviously he's got to have with Thomas Tuchel in, in terms of the approach last summer and how it should probably be different uh, during this off-season. The likes of Gallagher and and Colwell, they've got to be introduced into this squad. They've been exceptional on in during their low moves. Conor Gallagher probably gets in the team right now, doesn't he? Probably, undoubtedly. And I mean, Colwell has to be around it. He's been he's been magnificent at Huddersfield. So gives you that balance on the left side as well, which obviously we th- we think uh, he would have been able to do. Tomori potentially as well could have played that role. I'm sure. So. He's naturally going to fit in there if Thomas Tuchel persists with the with the back three. But yeah, Thiago Silva staying and still performing as he did yesterday, where I thought he was one of Chelsea's best players, and um, yeah, would have pushed Mason Mount close for that Player of the Year. Absolutely perfect, perfect for him to yeah just spend time around, I suppose. And Thiago Silva seems the type that will be you know very open to to passing on that advice. But yeah, Cole Will's got everything I think to be a to be a top Premier League defender and and I'm sure he will be drip-fed into, into A-side next year. Hopefully it's at Chelsea, but a Premier League loan would be be an obvious next step as well if they didn't want to keep him around. So Levi Colwell, Chelsea Academy graduate central defender, Thiago Silva, former AC Milan defender. Put those two things together. What do you sort of come up with? Fikayo hmm. Tomori? Uh, we'll hear from him next. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Rexon premieres May 2nd on FX, stream on Hulu. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub an official partner of The Athletic. Siamo noi, siamo noi, i campioni dell'Italia, siamo noi. Mister, tutto meritato per il nostro allenatore 2022. Well, it might have been a forgettable end to the season for Chelsea, but that certainly wasn't the case for former Blues Fikayo Tomori and Olivier Giroud. Uh, oh, and still current Blue Timoe Bakayoko, who was uh, stogieing it up in the aftermath of AC Milan celebrating their first Scudetto in 11 years, courtesy of a final day 3-0 win at Sassuolo. Our friend Liam Toomey was there for the Athletic and he sent us this voice note. Hello and welcome to Reggio Emilia, where I am standing overlooking the Milan party bus. A few hours ago it was the Milan team bus, now it's very much a party bus. The drinks are flowing, the music's booming. Uh, it's gonna take them quite a while to leave this stadium, I think, and go somewhere where they've no doubt got more festivities planned. Fikayo Tomori is, is down below me, 
kissing the Scudetto trophy. He said the Scudetto was the first word of Italian he ever learned. Well, now he knows its true meaning. He's a league champion at a professional level. And Olivier Giroud, what a player. He turns 36 in September and he's just won his seventh major trophy since he turned 30. He came up big when Milan needed it today. They never looked in danger of losing this game. They only needed a draw to hold off Inter and win this title. But they went at Sassuolo from the start, 100 miles an hour. Those two early goals from Giroud really relaxed them. They were 3-0 up at half-time. Rafael Leao in particular was just running all over Sassuolo. He looks a serious player. But anyway, back to the Chelsea flavour of all of this. Um, you had Tamori cementing his status as the outfielder who's played the most minutes for Milan this season. What an incredible achievement for a guy who originally came here on loan halfway through the last campaign. Um, and there are a lot of Milan fans still around this stadium who have not even begun to make the trip back to Milan. They want to greet the team bus as it leaves, just as they did when it arrived. There were thousands of them, tens of thousands of them, far more than could actually fit into the stadium here to welcome the team bus a few hours ago. And then when I actually got into the Mape, I was stunned to find it was basically a Milan home game. Three of the four stands were a, a sea of red and black. And even the Sassuolo end had a sizable contingent of Milan supporters. This was, this was clearly, you know, a pre-arranged celebration. When the final whistle went, all the players ran onto the pitch. Tamori and, and Giroud had been bouncing up and down arm in arm for several minutes. They both haired on. And then they all very quickly scarpered and, and tried to get back down the tunnel because thousands of fans ran onto the pitch as well. It seems pitch invasions are back in vogue all over Europe. Um, they were eventually cleared away long enough, just long enough, for the trophy presentation before uh, they ran back on. And now the Milan players are just taking their time, soaking it all in. I saw Timoe Bakayoko with a cigar in his mouth. Serious Michael Jordan vibes from Bakayoko tonight with, with his entourage. Um, they're all gonna have a really good night. I'm gonna go off and write now because that is actually my job, not watching people drink beer. So this is me signing off from Reggio Emilia. Back to you, Matt. Uh, well, let's hear from the man himself too. Liam caught up with Tamori after the game and began by asking after all his success at Chelsea at every youth level, how did it feel to be a champion as a professional at the very top level? It's, there's, there's actually no words really. Um, you know, I came here a year and a half ago and um, you know, I knew that this team, we could win it. Um, and this year, you know, we, we just gave everything, every game was difficult and uh, I thought we grew as the season was going on. And now, um, now we've won, it's like, there's no words, it's just, it's just mad, absolutely mad. It ended up being big, one big party today, didn't it? Oh, it's almost yeah, like yeah. a home game. The, the, the thing is, I know, is like the party's just started, so, <laughs> you know, I've lost all my energy, I've lost my voice almost, but, you know, I'm... Oh, it's, I'm, I'm just drained, but I'm so happy that we've managed to do it. You no, know, all the hard work we did the whole season, and now to have the skidder at the end of it, it's, it, it's, it's mad, it's mad. You said before that was the first Italian word you'd learned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, when I first came here, everyone was talking about it, and uh, um, in the interviews they were, they were they were saying it. So um, now that we have it, it's um, 
Yeah, there's just no words, no words. You spoke before about how you threw yourself into life into Italy, you know, into Milan, really embraced the culture. Mm. But on the pitch as well, you've ended up playing more minutes than any other outfielder this oh, really? season. Yeah. I didn't even know that. Could, I mean, could you have imagined that at the start of the year? No, I mean, a year, year and a half ago, I was, you know, I was at Chelsea, I wasn't playing a lot at all. And, um, you know, it, it's difficult to stay motivated at that time because you're just thinking, you know, what's, what's going to happen, you know, I'm not playing. And then someone would have told me a year and a half, mate, um, in a year and a half, um, you'll win the skid with Milan. You know, I would have just been, I would have thought you were crazy, but yeah. the fact that I'm here and it's happened, it's just, it's just, I, have so much, I have so many emotions going through my head, through my body, everything, it's, uh, it's mad, you know, my, my friends are here, I saw them during the game, I saw them after the game, obviously you were all the fans on the pitch, yeah, it was just, it was absolutely mad. You mentioned, you know, about the, the change going to Milan, I know that Chelsea fans are super happy for you right now to see what you've done, there was a bit of a sliding doors element for them, I think, where you left and a couple of days later the coach changed, the system changed yeah. and started playing with three at the back. Did that ever come into your mind? No, I mean once once I came to Milan, you know, I obviously um I wanted to be here. Yeah. And then um on top of that I saw how so motivated the team was, how motivated the coach was. Um even it, even when when I came here it was COVID, but um, you know, so the fans couldn't come in the in the stadiums but I could still feel the San Siro, I could still feel the fans, everything like that and um yeah, ever since I've been here, since the first minute, it's been it's been amazing, and uh, you know I couldn't have asked for anything more. And um, you know to, to finish the season with something like Scudetto is um, it's indescribable, indescribable. When you first came, it wasn't immediately clear whether Milan would activate the option to take you permanently. Was that your goal when you came to, to do so well and to adapt so well? My, my goal when I my, my goal when I first came was just to, to give all I could. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it, it been a while, like I said, since I played. So um, the fact that I was able to, to come here and um, I was given the opportunity to play, I was so happy and so grateful for that. And um, you know, the manager, all the all the team, everyone. You know, the minute I came here, they they supported me, they showed faith in me, and. Um, no, like you said, I played the most minutes. Didn't even know that, but um, you know, even despite my injuries, everything like that, you know, the manager still kept faith in me. Um, times when you know maybe I didn't, I didn't do right things on the pitch or I made mistakes or I had an absolute conversation or whatever it is, you know, things that happened on the pitch. You know, manager still kept on playing me, still kept on showing me faith, and um, yeah, it's, it's crazy, it's mad. Have you had a message from Tammy yet? Yeah. Probably, probably. I haven't, I haven't <laughs> checked it. There was, there was literally no signal in the. In the change room, but um, you know I've got loads okay, of messages. You can see loads and loads of messages <laughs> coming through now. But um, yeah, it's been uh, it's been mad, and uh, you know Tammy and I were actually talking and saying hopefully I win the Scudetto and he wins the, the the Nations League on Wednesday. So um, you know now we've done this, um, I was shooting, I was going to shoot him on anyway, but yeah, I'll definitely we shoot on more now. And just finally a word on Olivier came up big today. You knew you knew what a big game play was in yeah. Chelsea. I make that now seven major trophies since he turned thirty. Yeah, he's incredible, isn't he? Yeah, I remember when. Um, when uh, I, I heard stories, I heard whispers that he was going to come to Milan, and I said to him, you know, come, come to Milan, let's win a Skiddle. And um, like you said, it's happened sooner than uh, probably we imagined, but um, <laughs> we, we won it. It's like, it's mad, it's mad, it's mad. Oh, Simon, it's difficult not to come back to this point of Chelsea really shouldn't have sold for Kyoto Mori, should they? I mean, you could maybe even say the same for Olivier Giroud, given the way the season's got. Well, any regular listener of this podcast will know that this is could almost be called the Giroud Fan Club podcast, you know, because we 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 championed for Giroud to play more than he did um, throughout his time. Yes, you could argue, you know, his age. You have to move on, move on at some point, but 
you know, Tuchel barely played him from um, February to May, if memory serves, last season. After he scored that goal of the season, Chelsea's goal of the season at Atletico Madrid. Um, so Tuchel made it pretty clear that he wanted to move on. But I, I, I really liked Giroud. He would have been a really good squad player again this season. He, of course, wanted to play more regularly. You have to say it's not just Chelsea's decision. Um, Giroud wanted to go because he wasn't playing enough. And, of course, he has this... You know, he wants to play for France at the World Cup. Um, but yeah, no surprise he's gone to AC Milan and, and, and done the business there. He's a, he's a class act. Go goal! Goal! I've got a Giroud! I've got a Giroud! I've got a Giroud! Olivier Giroud! Olivier Giroud! Siamo venuti qua su! Siamo venuti qua su! Per vedere segnare Giroud! But of course, Tamori, out of the two decisions, or out of the two sort of scenarios, rubbed in even more by what's going on with losing Christensen and Rudiger. It, it's it, 20, 25 million rising to 30 million was the fee. Absolute steal for AC Milan. And bizarrely, no kind of buyback clause um, either. Uh, very, very strange. You know, if Chelsea were to try and buy him now, for example, you're looking at probably double what they sold him for. Um so another question mark over over the business dealings of the club um, because uh, Tamori, I'm really happy for him. Weirdly frozen out uh, under Frank Lampard after Lampard was the one that gave him the chance um, in 2020, he just disappeared without trace. And, and that, you know, whilst you can point the finger at the, the hierarchy for their role in his departure... Um, the seeds were sown by his treatment under Lampard. He, he, he by that stage, he was uh, very keen to get away from Chelsea, and there was very little that I think by that stage that Chelsea could have done to persuade him to stay. I just find it very odd that the terms were so favourable to AC Milan, given the reputation Chelsea have of driving a hard bargain. Yeah, and their recruitment's been excellent, Milan, and they're, they're owned, of course, these days by an American hedge fund. So maybe something. <laughs> For Chelsea to learn from that. For Tamori, though, Sam, I mean, for a 24-year-old to go and win the Serie A title with AC Milan, I mean, that is an incredible story, isn't it? You know, one of the one of the greatest teams, greatest names in world football. What what a thing for him to have achieved. Yeah, and, and it feels there's always been a reluctance for, for young players to, to, to make the move um, abroad. Yeah, very jealous of him. Um He's learned Italian impeccably. So it would seem from the outside that he's gone over there and, and given it everything. Similar to maybe when Jonathan Woodgate went to Spain, um, threw himself into the lifestyle. I, yeah, I just echo what Simon says. I mean, maybe not technically brilliant, but good enough with the ball. Obviously, he's an out-and-out defender. And that recovery pace, that he would have had above anyone probably in that Chelsea squad this year would have been so beneficial. We've spoken about that quite a lot. You know, Thomas Tuchel picking his side, dependent on who they're up against, getting Trevor Chalaber into that back line. Tamori's pace would have been an asset. Maybe Fred Lampard felt he just got physically dominated um, in some games because of his size at centre-half and that probably doesn't happen as often in Serie A, but I'm I'm struggling here really because I think he ultimately had the capability to be a top quality defender for for Chelsea and he's he's showing that for for AC Milan and even more strange because 
he had that opportunity in that that season at Derby where he did so well under Lampard. So, and played you know regularly uh, initially under his tenure. So, yeah, really baffled by it. But yeah, all credit to him. Really pleased and um, yeah, jealous that I didn't get a a taste of uh, Italian lifestyle during my career. Just just quick add on. Surely he's got to be in the England squad. Oh, it has to be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's been bizarrely ignored up to now by Southgate, but if he's ignored this time, especially with the... It feels like the dearth of defenders in form, he has to be looked at this summer, for sure. What's Gerhi's involvement been so far? He has a cap, yeah. He won one in, was it March? Yeah. Won a couple, so he'll be in there. I mean, you know, it's going to be tough to to push the likes of in-form Harry Maguire, Tyro Ming, (laughs) Connor Cody out of the way, isn't it? But yeah, maybe they'll they'll get a go. As I'm sure will Tammy Abraham, who has now scored 29 goals in his first season at Roma. He got a couple on Friday night as they beat Torino to round off their campaign. And he'll be involved in a final on Wednesday night. They take on Feyenoord in the first ever UEFA Conference League final that's been played in Tirana, so good luck to Tammy. Uh, one other little piece of news, Christoph Lollishon announced on Twitter on Sunday night that he's leaving Chelsea. He was head of goalkeeping. He'd worked from first team level to helping loan players and working in the recruitment department too, but after 15 years, uh, he is saying goodbye. He's been, obviously, Simon, a consistent figure around the club for, for a long time now, albeit maybe not in, in quite as hands-on a role in recent years with the first team as, as he was previously. He was, he was big for Petr Cech, right? Massive for Petr Cech. Like the, their relationship was was very, very tight. Um, so, yeah, if you sort of, that alone, you sort of go, well, if Christophe Lollinshaw was part of you know, the best goalkeeper arguably in Chelsea's history, Peter Bonetti will be, someone will be uh, voting for him. But that alone sort of should make people um, be grateful for his contribution. But he also, his last sort of significant contribution to Chelsea Football Club was was Edouard Mendy. I mean, he was, he was the driving force behind that deal. He identified him a few years ago. Um, told Petr Cech about him when Cech was still at Arsenal. Uh, also, that indicates you know, where Cech's head was at in terms of his post-playing career. Um, so, so yeah, he may not have been Jose Mourinho's favourite member of staff, um, certainly second time around. But, yeah, he certainly certainly played a big big role during the last 15 years. Good luck to him with whatever he does next. We're just about finished for today. I do want to draw your attention again though to that joint read that Liam and Simon have teamed up for on the Roman Abramovich era. Give us a bit of a taste of it please Simon. Well we, we were asked to sort of pick out certain subjects to write about so it's not all Abramovich related but it's all Abramovich era related and of course there's so many things to choose from. I I, I will talk about my subjects obviously because I'm biased because um, they're brilliant um, but obviously I had to go, I picked out, for example, you had to go Jose Mourinho. It, you sort of think of the manager that, that best sums up Chelsea under Abramovich taking on the, the, the elite. It's sort of Mourinho and Abramovich go hand in hand, don't they? Um, 
then they go into the rivalries, the, the love affair with the Champions League. Liam writes about Eden Hazard, who sort of deserves his own um, subject. But there's the Chelsea women are covered, the academy. We, we've written a lot. We could have written a lot, lot more. <laughs> yeah, written a lot sort of almost comes with a warning. But honestly, we, it, we, we've tried to do it justice because it's been, whether you're a critic of Abramovich or a fan of Abramovich, you cannot deny the massive impact he has had, not just on Chelsea, but football. Like football has changed. The the uh, the wage bill and <laughs> transfer fees have changed because you have to say, Abramovich, you know, his arrival moved the goalposts. And you sort of think of foreign owners that have come in. Um, the Premier League has, um, it was huge before, but it's become a lot bigger and you sort of think Abramovich played a big part in that whether you like him or not um, so yeah we've tried to do him justice of course a very controversial figure but Chelsea fans were still singing his name on Sunday and, and they I think they always will because it's the it's been some ride that they've been on and they've seen things that they never thought they'd ever see yeah the end of a hugely significant era in history of the club. Um, elsewhere on The Athletic, really good read by Kyle Anker on the chaos of the final day of the Premier League season, which totally passed Simon and I by until we watched Match of the Day uh, last night, I think. Um, Sam, before we go, uh, I wanted a word from you, please, on, on Mike Dean on Sunday. Uh, fairly theatrical in a lot of his mannerisms. I kept a close eye on his warm-up. Luckily, the monitor right at the top of the East End spent a prolonged period watching him do his warm-up. And, and let's just say he was aware that the camera was on him. But 560 games, only ref to ever get to 100 red cards. Um, he's a he's a character, isn't he? You know, and actually, the one thing you would say about Mike Dean is he can be a bit irritating in his actions, but he's a pretty consistent and decent referee. So, you know, he will be missed given the, the standards that we sometimes see across the league these days. Yeah, and I've had a, I've had a few dealings with him uh, off the pitch at, at Stockley Park uh, in between his VAR shifts and... Uh, he often pops into where we're doing the the football league stuff and checks on Tramir Rovers' progress. So um, yeah, he's he's that, that's a nice trait, I suppose, that he still follows his local club and and will be best remembered by me for standing on the the terrace in at Forest Green Rovers in the driving rain, wasn't it? Standing on top of one of the um, yeah one of the the barriers, so no less. But yeah. It, He's not my least favourite referee. Can I say that? Yeah, I'll, I'll go with that. <laughs> well done. How do I follow that? Um, so he actually... Was, he that... was pretty moved, wasn't he, Simon, at full time? I don't know if you noticed that, but he, he looked like he was holding back tears when he blew the whistle for the final time. So, so this was the task I was given because Chelsea Watford, who cares, right? Even the fans didn't care. They were more worried about Liverpool blowing another title. Um, but, but, uh, yeah, so I did, I did actually watch Mike Dean's every move and I've started writing the piece before the podcast started. I've got to finish it now before I get told off after, after we stop here. And yeah, he was, he was as entertaining as ever, but, um, he didn't produce a single card. So he was in a good mood, but I did. And at least he's just done the motion there. I found the way he blew up for full time was fantastic. It was it was the double. There was a two hands up and then a 
I've never seen that from a ref before. Maybe he's. Done he only it did two. He only did two toots though. I thought it was three normally. I was yeah, anticipating well, the third. Rag, it was just the last one. Uh, yeah, no third. And and in terms of the warm up, Sam, I also thought he was he was kind of doing it to the beat. You know, like it, it was like, oh, is he auditioning for Strictly? Like, <laughs> I thought, oh, he's got a bit of rhythm there. Um, so yes. Mike Dean, actually, like you sort of think of Chelsea fans sort of run, you know, any controversy. I I can't remember any sort of Chelsea related controversy. The only one was actually in Chelsea's favour when Gabriel was sent off, having been brilliantly wound up by Diego Costa, um, and his decision was retrospectively, I think, reversed, and Costa ended up getting a punish instead. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think Chelsea fans actually have reason to to have any problems. Like if if it was a piece on Anthony Taylor, I think. Um, well, if it, yeah, Anthony Taylor's last game. If it's at Chelsea, I think it would be a bit more of a lively affair. I think they'd give him a proper send off. Well, well done, Mike Dean. Going to be fascinating to see who offers him more money. I'm a celebrity, or Strictly Come Dancing. Um, one way or another, he's going to be on one of those shows before the end of the year. I feel certain. Speaking of shows, we'll return on Thursday with our final one of the season. All four of our panelists will team up to look back over the campaign. Do join us for that if you can. For now, though, it is goodbye. <laughs> The Athletic.